This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about building brand love. So this may sound really esoteric, like something only big brands do, but it's actually a business growth philosophy that any brand or business, no matter the size or budget, can adopt to scale and grow more quickly. Now, keep in mind, all brands and businesses started out just mere thoughts and dreams in the minds of their founders, and it's brand love that actually turns these ideas and thoughts and dreams into viable products, and then hopefully those viable products into franchises. And if you're craving more after this episode, you can get my book, which dives into brand love in a lot more detail. The book's called The Super Highway of Relevancy, Getting More People to Choose Your Brand More Often and Definitely. It's available on Amazon. Mouthful. It's a good title. I like it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so first, let's define brand love really specifically. Number one, 90% of decisions are made from the heart. In the world we're in of saturated consumerism, you have to hardwire your brand to your customer in ways that they're not expecting, but that are very authentic. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you have to trigger an irrational affinity for it in order to differentiate and rise above the noise of the competition and what can honestly be worse, which is pure old complacency. And in doing so, you drive exponential brand growth, which means ensuring that your product hitches a ride onto your consumer's hearts and souls as well as their minds. So it's not just about the logical choice. It's as if they just can't help but choose it at this point. And when you get to these really strong emotional connections, that is what we mean when we say brand love. Absolutely. And make sure you hang around until the end because I'm going to tell you how to get free access to one of the tools we talk about in this episode. Okay, so let's jump into how building brand love can get more people to choose your business. First, you need to consider what you sell versus what your competition sells. So I want you guys all to do this exercise for me. And if you're worse, someplace where you can write something down, write it down. If not, just think about it. But I want you to think about your business or what business you're in or what business you sell, however you framework your business. And I want you to think about what it sells, all right? Now think about your competition and think about what they sell. Is it the same thing? Danger if it is. Yes. And most people would say, yeah. And it's kind of a little bit of an aha moment for people because a lot of people frame this question in what they actually do. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's, I sell fantastic food that people enjoy. I sell clothes that people feel good in. I sell top-rated expertise and insert the field. It's very common vernacular when somebody says, what do you sell? But really what this is, is it's the product that you sell. It's the thing that you put the price tag on. But it's not actually the whole full potential of what you could sell in order to actually drive more value for your business. So this is what I mean. Let's take a few brands here for an example. So Nike, and we're going to use a big brands, a lot of big brands in this case, not because this is big brand stuff, but just because it's easy for you guys to go find this, research this, look this up, because I want this to really resonate, okay? So like I was saying, Nike, if you would ask Nike what they sell, um, you know, in the purest form, they would say shoes and apparel, right? Disney sells entertainment. Chick-fil-A sells a chicken sandwich. 
And if these brands just stayed at this commodity level, they would have a ton of competition because there's a gazillion people that sell shoes. There's a gazillion people that sell entertainment. There's a gazillion people that sell chicken sandwiches, right? And what do commodities compete on? They compete on price. So we don't want to stay there. And these brands realize if they stayed there, then they were going to be constantly at a struggle to be able to uh, drive the only value they could drive, which is based on the lowest price. But instead, when I say the brands like Nike, Disney, Chick-fil-A, they evoke a different feeling, right? They have a deeper, more meaningful connection with their consumers because they have been able to develop an emotional connection that supersedes and transcends that basic product that they deliver. And this is that emotional connection and that defines those brands, and that's actually what they sell. Now, the great thing about this is when you can really harness this and you can really identify what this is, you're able to scale faster, you're able to build more consumers more quickly, you're able to command higher prices because you're creating more value. So for example, again, we'll go back to Nike. Nike's just do it. It's more than just a tagline. It is actually a lifestyle. All right. Other places can try to claim to be the most magical place on earth in air quotes. But what is the first place you think of when I say that? And there must be absolutely something in the chicken sandwich because I personally, well, I'm gluten free too, but my daughter loves them. I'm like, I I don't understand the irrational, like cult, like falling for Chick-fil-A. But there is something there that creates this affinity that people will come from like everywhere in order to have this chicken sandwich. So these brands have been able to transcend that basic product benefit, that commodity-based product benefit, and are able to drive differentiation based on an emotional factor that they authentically and solely own. Yes. And a couple of things that I just want to add here. So for one thing, one of the exercises we always talk about that I think can be really helpful in visualizing what it looks like if you are a commodity is if you can cover up your logo and anyone could put their logo there in your place, whether it's on a package, a website, a billboard, all of those different types of things, you are a commodity. However, on the other side, I would imagine that pretty much all of you listening, when Anne ran through Nike's Just Do It or The Most Magical Place on Earth or the feeling you have when you're going to Chick-fil-A for that chicken sandwich, right? All of us in our minds just naturally envision some experience we have had and we go to our happy place, I would say in a lot of cases, associated with those brands. So it is that very surface level kind of stagnant feel of being able to, you know, cover up that logo and put anybody else's there versus the emotions that just come up when we speak to these brands, which again, to Anne's point, is why we're speaking to big brands today versus using less known ones. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And I love the exercise of putting your hand over your name and trying to put any competition there and see if it still makes sense, because it really brings to light very clearly if you have a differentiation problem. And if you have a differentiation problem, there's no way you can develop brand love. And that is the very, very first step in order to um, be able to build brand love is to recognize that. Now, the next thing is you need to identify the emotional impact you tend to have on your client, consumer, customer. April, I'll let you take this one. 
Yep. I'm always the one to talk about the emotional connections. Yep. Anyway. Softy you. (laughs) Which is not me, which is funny. But in any case, different topic. So Anne's book does go through in detail, a little plug here, the eight-step process called the what-if ideation. And so this will allow you to pretty clearly and concisely and effectively step through how to get to this intended impact. But in this episode, we're going to summarize initial steps to kind of help you start to think through in the right way and hopefully uncover an emotional connection that you can uniquely own. Maybe not all the way there. Go to that process. Get the book if you want to do the whole exercise, but we'll start here today. So where you start is with understanding, of course, who is your client, consumer, customer, and what is the tension point or angst that they are feeling and the emotional impact they're having as a result of that. That is where you can insert yourself and connect with them. That is where Mm -hmm. you sell the solution for them. That is where you become the hero, so to speak, and have the ability to elevate the connection with them to not just a commodity again, not just a solution of a thing, but the actual intended brand love on that higher level. So let's think about some of these examples again, right? So with this one, I'll use Nike. Nike wants wants every single person to feel empowered to become an athlete. It doesn't matter your body, your gender, your size, your experience level, your agility, your ability, any of those types of things. They know that the moment of anxiety starts when physical activity comes into play, and especially if you're not the most seasoned, conditioned athlete in the world. So if they Mm -hmm. really want to take that hyper-athlete feeling and distill it to the masses, they have to build energy and excitement through the brand that helps the consumers get over that angst, to get over that hump, and not be thinking about things, well, on a scale from everywhere of, I'm not the next you know, Michael Phelps or whoever, but I want to swim, or I'm so out of shape that I can't imagine putting this on and getting out there, right? So they're addressing that entire spectrum, and they do it so well because they pump people up, right? When you think about the advertising, when you think about those huge visual images of the athletes that are larger than life, when you feel the energy when you go in their stores, when you see the swoosh itself, right? All of that builds that energy in the proper way to get people motivated no matter who they are to go and live that lifestyle on whatever terms make sense for them, but to be part of the Nike brand and be proud of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the other side, I'll use us an ex- as an example. So forthright people, we know that small and mid-sized brands don't have the time, money, or talent, or in some cases all three, to activate high-quality marketing campaigns. And so our infrastructure is very, very on-demand as a result of that. And what we do is bring top talent and experience in any or all of those areas. So you're not sacrificing time for money or money for time or talent or any of those things. You get all of it in this package where we come in and help you wherever you are in your life cycle or wherever you're having challenges. Or even we offer to do things like train new team members to be able to do it themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we're really addressing that, oh, I love to do marketing, but fill in the blank moment. I don't have the time. I don't have anyone on the team that can do it. I, I don't have the money, whatever it is. And we solve that problem for you. 
Yep. And I would say in that moment, we sell marketing savvy. That's what we talk oh, about, yeah. right? On Good our, uh, yeah. And, and I think that's a really important distinguishing yes. factor because a lot of people would say, we sell the marketing deliverables. Yeah, exactly. We sell, we sell a social strategy. We sell a TV ad. We sell, you know, that's what they sell. What we want to sell is in helping our teams be able to feel smarter about mm-hmm. their marketing, feel more competent and confident in their marketing. And if so, desiring, feel good enough to be able to do some of that on their own. Yep. Like that was one of the big things that we decided was going to differentiate us from other agencies is, is that we weren't going to hold back that expertise in order to create a, a need for us that, you know, so they can't live without us so that we would constantly have like work that's coming from them. We wanted them to feel empowered. And in so doing, that has helped us actually continue to even keep those clients going yep. forward because they trust us. They know we're going to give them really good work. They know we're going to be very transparent in how much the work costs. And that is exactly what they need when they need it. So I think those both examples are really, really good at giving um, an example of both on a product side, but also on a client side. Yep, service side. Yeah, service side, like how this comes to life, right? So yeah, perfect examples. So the third point of how to get more people to choose you by building brand love is to define the proof points your client, consumer, customer needs to believe you and integrate them across your branding. All right. So now that you have uncovered the emotional connection or maybe you're on your way and you have some like little thoughts and you need to think about it some more, which is totally fine. You need to determine what proof points you need in order to get your consumer, your client, your customer to actually believe you. So a lot of people will just put it out there and declare it. And that is absolutely the first step that you need to do. But you also then need to consider, again, back to that angst and that tension, also what skepticism surrounds what you're Mm -hmm. trying to claim, right? You have to think about where they might have been like kind of like confused before, maybe they were, um, you know, underwhelmed before, like all those feelings that they might be feeling as a result of other interactions that they have had in the market or in your industry as a result of why now they have this tension and anxiety. And you need to think about how you're going to address those. And this could range in in way your business and brand looks. It could be incorporated in the way that it sounds. It could be incorporated in what you say and the claims and the promises you make all the way to the style and tone that you need to embrace in order to get them to see that, yes, I believe you. I believe when you tell me you're going to deliver this emotional impact that you are going to go do that, and I want to take a bet on you. So then what you want to do is you want to incorporate all these signals of performance, credibility, reassurance, whatever they happen to be, in all your visual branding, all right? This includes your logo, your colors, your iconography, your photography, For example, if you want your consumer to feel trust as a result of the the product that you're putting out there, you better make sure that your logo, your colors, your iconography, all of those elements, those visual elements, reinforce that. There are certain colors that make people feel that a brand is more trustworthy. There's certain um, very textures that you could use. So all these things help build the story and signal that you are a trustworthy brand. It seems very nuanced, but the brands that really get this, like especially like as we talked about the Nikes, the Disneys of the world, you will see as you look through all of their visual elements, it's all very consistent and it's all very much leaning back to that one emotional impact that they want you to take away. Now, you also need to think about what you say and how you're saying it. So these are your verbal toolkits, your tone of voice, your message tracks. You may need specific words. You may need certain tones that all trigger this emotion. 
You may even need claims as proof points, all right? And now be very, very specific with what these claims are. So for example, if you want to build trust, and you know, a lot of people will use like nine out of 10 consumer kind of claims. This probably is going to require you to do some research. You know, you're not going to be able to just pull these out of the air and put them on there and be able to use them. But neither can your competition. Mm -hmm. So this is why it's really important and can be a really big differentiator. So if they, you, if you can construct this verbal um, message track around all of your um, ways that you're building the proof points, it really helps the consumer to see that you're everything that they want you to be. And then you need to activate it across all your marketing channels, right? This is, could be all across your social digital, your TV, the choice of spokespeople and talent, products, your brick and mortar retail stores, wherever your brand is showing up, you want it to consistently thread through all of those so that people can feel that emotion, that impact wherever they're engaging with you. And then you're building then that, that proof that you are going to deliver what you promise you're going to deliver. Yes, and I, I would just add a reminder here to make sure that it ties back to the way you're addressing that moment of angst or that tension point and that you're using language that is relevant to the consumer. So to Anne's point, doing research or whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you're getting those claims right. I think this is this sometimes can fall on the wrong side into things like saying we're the best. Or, you know, stuff That's that really doesn't price mean of anything. entry, right? Yeah. And so those are areas where, again, you could cover up the logo and anyone in the category who's making money could say that they're the best, right? So it really is making sure that you're using language, terms, and enticing information that your consumer is connecting with. And then all the other things Anne said, too, making sure that it's on tone for the brand, that it looks like the brand and it's consistent in the messaging, all of those types of things. But really first embracing and knowing your consumer well enough to know what they're looking for from you. Yeah, absolutely. So the fourth point about building brand love and how to get more people to choose you is determine how you'll best reach your client, consumer, customer to create an emotional connection. April, I'll let you just take this one. Back to the emotional connection. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we call these things brand love vehicles. And what that means is it's actually the, the thing you create in order to reach your consumer with the right message from the right person at the right time through the right channel. So that's a lot. And we've said this before on the show, but I'll just say it one more time. What you create in order to reach your consumer with the right message from the right person at the right time through the right channel. So that's a lot of things to check the box on, but that actually is a really good checklist to make sure that you're addressing it all the way around. And that will help you assess whether it is the right vehicle. But these are the things that are intentionally created to make sure your activation is consistently communicated and talking about what you sell. But again, how you're different in the language that the consumer wants to hear at that right time. And then as we always say, we're huge fans of test and learn. So do that. Optimize when you hear, have learnings. That's another way to do really good research on mm -hmm. the fly and see what is resonating. But overall, this should become the basis for marketing campaigns and special promotions and the way that you build these vehicles so that they're unique to you and they're consistent with what the consumer is looking for because they're satisfying the need they have from you. Yeah, it's really intentionally done too. Yeah. Because you want to make sure that you are 
really driving down, I would call it the superhighway in my book for a reason, a, a superhighway that you create and not one of somebody else's creating. And that is the hardest thing to really think about as you're addressing how you're going to reach your consumer because it's very easy to look at what somebody else is doing and be yep. like, I'm just going to go do that. Yep. And then you find when you start to try to do that, you're like, huh, this is really crowded and maybe I don't have enough money or maybe I don't have enough time or maybe I don't have enough people to kind of break through here and be able to really play that game. And that is a really dangerous game to get into because okay. what happens is a lot of businesses run out of money before they're able to sure break do. through that. So I know it feels like, you know, uh, time consuming. We hear that a lot. And I know it feels like, oh, that's going to take, you know, a lot of effort to be able to create these. But this is really the way that you're going to authentically reach your consumer the fastest in most complete and compelling way possible. And if you need a little bit more of a simplified structure for kind of thinking about it, if, when, you, when you get the book, not if you get the book, you'll see <laughs> that it mentions, and I'll go back to this later Hard in plug. an ITT question. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it's, it's three distinct elements here for the Brand Love Vehicle, which is your storyteller, your message, and your engagement points. Yeah. So that just puts it in a different framework and a lens. And like I said, when we get to the ITT, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So just to summarize how building brand love gets more people to choose you, consider what you sell versus what your com competition sells. Now, if, as April said, if you can cover up your name and put your competitions in and it makes sense, then you aren't differentiated enough. Next is you identify the emotional impact you tend to have in your client, consumer, or customer. This is the basis from which you build an authentic connection that only you can own, and this is actually what you sell. Next is you define the proof points your client, consumer, customer needs to believe you, and you integrate them across all your branding. This is what you will build your outreach on so that your client, consumer, customer believes you will deliver the emotional impact you promise. And finally, you determine how you'll best reach your client, consumer, customer to create an emotional connection. And these are the brand love vehicles that we just talked about. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right, our next segment is in the trenches where we give real world examples. And we're going to use um, some, probably some big brand examples here. Again, just so you guys can really understand and internalize this, please don't look at the big brand examples again and think there's no possible way I can do this. Anybody can do this. This is why we want you guys to think about this because it is a philosophy. It's not exactly what you go do. You're not going to do it exactly how the big brands do it. But if you adopt a philosophy, you're going to find ways of being able to take this big brand thinking, if you will, and distill it down into ways that you're going to be able to really make a huge impact for your business. Our first in the trenches question, I see how you build brand love for products, but how does it work for B2B? April, you want to take this one? Sure. And I would say the same way. The target's just different. So Anne went through the tongue twister to say client, consumer, customer, how many times? And I know. And we normally don't do that, but I feel like people <laughs> need to hear that in this episode, right? They just need to hear that it's all of those things. Yes. But here, right, we're probably talking more in terms of your client or customer in the B2B space versus the consumer of the product that you're selling. But this is really the main difference, which means there really is very little difference and the process applies. 
And on, you know, just to add emphasis, this actually can be an immediate differentiator for you because many businesses in the B2B space don't feel like brand is important, let alone going as far as to make these brand love connections and all the work that it entails in order to do that. Mm -hmm. They just don't believe that the payoff is there and they don't necessarily understand how to get there. Right. Right. So let us use an example for us again. So we sell to our customers marketing savvy. And I mentioned this before, but I'll talk a little bit more about it here is We deliver on this not only by doing the work, which Ann talked about the point of talking in terms of deliverables. This is what you get, right? This is the product, essentially, that we're going to give you. But here we're talking much more service-based, which is more of a B2B term overall. And here we're offering to teach. So... A lot of what we saw early on and a lot of the reason we went into this business individually and then together is to be able to serve less savvy customers that know the importance of marketing and branding in theory, but feel really nervous about it because they believe it's a black box and Mm -hmm. they either don't even know how to get started or they don't trust that someone's not going to pull a fast one on them or they just think that there's no way they have the investment needed again to that time, money or team to be able to do it. But we spend a lot of time actually educating, explaining what we're doing, why we're doing it this way. And then ultimately, if they want it, we will give the tools to be able to do it on their own if that is the way they choose to go. And this really is that on-demand nature of our business. It's meeting our clients where they are and giving them what they need, not what product we at Fourth Rate People want to sell to them. And really, this is a differentiator from other agencies because what tends to happen is they won't share this information because they want their clients to be reliant on them. And Mm -hmm. this is really where some of that angst comes from is, well, I don't want to feel stupid, first of all, but also I'd like to be able to do this on our own or we can't afford to always do this with an agency and the inability to be able to get from point A to point B because the agency keeps it kind of behind the curtain, so to speak, and doesn't educate and explain on how to get it done. And so our intent is not to do that, but it is a major differentiator for us. And this is where we build a brand love connection because we are creating tangible value at every turn and we are respecting the business, we're respecting the clients and we're empowering them to be able to do this work on their own. And you can't put a price on that and you can't typically buy that from other agencies. Yeah. And I think that that last point is like it is such a good, good one. And a lot of especially service based businesses um, in the B2B range forget about that piece. Like they want to really like focus on the fact that they're the smartest you know, Uh in the group where they had the most talented people out there. Mm -hmm. They want to focus on the fact that they give like the best customer service out there. They want to focus on the fact that, um, you know, they have all these other clients that they've done work for, right? All of that, again, is table stakes. Like your competition can say the exact same thing. So if you were to assume that everybody else can do that too, because everybody else has smart people, everybody else gives good customer service. Other people have worked with like other, you know, big brands or notable brands. What else are you going to do in order to make that human's life on the other end much easier? Yep. And that takes some work to kind of go figure out. You have to do a little bit of research to, to uncover, hey, what really like is a big tension point for my potential client? Like, What could I do in order to make their lives easier? What me and April figured out was we can make them 
to teach them marketing. Yeah. Our biggest compliment walking out of work is, dang, they do fantastic work and I actually know why. Yeah. Right. That's what we want people to say about that. Not just, oh, I think we got good work. I think it turned out okay. I mean, um, I, I we don't got know. the things. We got the things. You know, I guess it was fine. Right. So that is what you need to think about for your own business, too. That takes it up the, the next level. That's what creates tangible value. And that you can charge for. Yeah. Um, and that is it's a premium. Yeah. And because people are going to really appreciate the way that you're doing the work, not just the work that you're doing. Yep. Exactly. Our second in the trenches question, what are the biggest mistakes you see people make in trying to form brand love connections? April, I'll let you take that one too. Yeah, (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a couple as we go, but. (laughs) All right, so I have a whole list here. Um, Number one is they try too hard. And this is kind of to that point we're making and Ann just emphasized around the other agencies is trying to push off your expertise, being salesy, not being forthcoming with how the work gets done. It really comes across overly promotional and really inauthentic. And so it makes it really hard to make that strong emotional connection because people are feeling on their heels like they're having to react and they just get the sense in their gut really that it is not the right fit because it's too overwhelming in the pressure. The second one is trying to be like someone else. So we've talked a lot about differentiation and using brand love as differentiation throughout this episode. When you don't do that and you take someone else's super highway, as Ann said, and try to make it your own, that does not work out well for anyone we've seen because as much as you might look similar to someone else from the outside, you aren't them. So you, it's the same same thing's true with a company, right? You can't be them. You can't mirror and mimic them because you don't know all the things about being part of their organization. So don't try to just be like somebody else in the space and think you can shortchange the process by operating that way. Yeah, that's the opposite of differentiation, yeah, opposite. by the way. Um, baiting and switching. And this is where I've seen things be promised. And then what actually comes out is not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish that this was few and far between. It's not. I think that because there isn't always a ton of transparency, there's this feeling of, well, we can say this, but actually deliver something else and nobody will know the difference. And Mm -hmm. that's actually not true. And so this is a really bad business practice, but also you're not going to, again, form that authentic relationship and connection. And then next, when it comes to building brand love, it's like a relationship, right? And a relationship takes time to develop. And so I think another tendency is to pretend we're BFFs from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? When you you basically, I've seen it where brands or companies or businesses talk at people instead of engaging them and having a conversation and thinking that that's going to build some type of affinity and strong relationship and all that brand love over time. And that's just not going to happen because that's not how we operate as human beings in total. And then I think the last thing is not doing the hard work to actually build the brand from the foundation up and do all the work that we've talked about throughout this episode. So starting with uncovering really how you're going to be different from the competition, but even more importantly or or more in the direction of building that brand love is making sure that you really have uncovered a true angst for your consumer, client, customer, and being honest with yourself about whether you actually have that. I, I remember... 
so many times in agency life where it would be like, that's an insight, that's an insight, that's an insight. And I'm like, number one, you typically get one big insight <laughs> per audience. Those are observations. Those are not true insights. That's not actually where that angst point is coming from. And we better keep digging or it's going to come off flat, right? And so it's all of those things. And then also then building the consistency of the brand voice, the right messaging for the customer at the end of the day, making sure that you're continuing to deliver on that and continuing to build and strengthen that relationship. It's not actually as hard or as much work as people think that it is if you follow the right process and do the right work from the beginning, because then you have all the what to do's set versus trying to undo the what not to do's that you've done along the way. And it sets you up for success over time. But again, I think that people just want to jump the gun and put something out there and think that people are just going to come. And that's not the way it works. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest uh, lesson to learn, too, is that building brand love takes time. Yeah. Um, it really does. It is a courting kind of relationship. It, it's, it, you know, you, and you want to build it from that standpoint and, and have the mentality of that because as soon as you try to shortcut it, all these things kind of come into play. You, people feel like you're trying too hard. People feel like you're 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 just acting like somebody else. So it takes some time to build that authentic relationship with folks. It doesn't necessarily need to take years and years and years. Sure. But the sooner you start it, the sooner you can cultivate it. And and the important part about it, of this, too, is being consistent yep. with the way that you show up so that people learn what to expect from you. Right. And then one of our also favorites um, that we talk about here as well is that you need to make it more about what they need for them versus what you want to necessarily give them or what you, yeah, what you want them to know about you. Okay. So think about it from that standpoint of like, you want somebody to like you. So therefore you need to learn more about them and how the connection is going to work well versus just like a big smattering of like, you know, you need to like me because of this. You need to like me because of this. I mean, we've all, I mean, God, I've been on dates like that and I'm just like, Oh my Lord. You know? So, um, that is really, really important is that you, even though, you know, brand love feels like very like it's everybody's like when we say love, everybody feels like, oh, I need to have like this passionate, emotional feeling about it. These emotions aren't necessarily, although a lot of times they do come like, I love that brand. I love that brand. But it's these words are, are like, you know, the trust, the confidence, like those are the emotions mm -hmm. that you're going for. So think about that in a broader scope, too. Um, and don't just think, oh, brand love, like what, nobody's going to love an accountant. So why should I even try kind of thing? They're going to love what you do for them. Mm -hmm. All right. They're going to love how you do the work. They're going to love how they feel as a result of the work that you do. Think about that. All right. Our third in the trenches question. Can you give me a more specific example of a brand love vehicle? All right, so I said we come back to this. So if you recall, the brand love vehicle is your storyteller, your message, and your engagement points, okay? So think about like almost like a Venn diagram of those things coming together. Now I'm going to go back to the Nike well, and before you sigh, again, it's because this is easy to look up, okay? But I'm going to take it in a little bit different direction. So here we go. So Nike, as we talked about, is all about an empowering lifestyle. That's what they sell. That's what the brand is, is, is about, Right. But there are several kind of underlying stories underneath, too, that have become very, very pivotal for that brand. One is performance. So if I was sitting there thinking about if I was a Nike brand manager and, you know, I was trying to develop, like, what would be a brand love vehicle in order to be able to convey performance? But I still need it kind of tied back to my brand. This is not like a total offshoot. It still needs to be connected back to Nike. How do I talk about performance? Right. So... 
Interestingly enough, when they decided to talk about performance, they used a method that we talk about a lot in marketing campaigns, and they borrow credibility from somebody who already exemplifies performance, and that is Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan became their storyteller. And not just because he was a beast on the court, which absolutely was a beast, a fierce competitor. One of the most iconic of all time. All, iconic yep. of all time. He also had a story of empowerment. He talked a lot about when he was in high school, he got cut from his team. Um, he had to really work hard to really showcase what he was good at. I mean, he was just a avid, avid, just studier of the game, practitioner of the game. First one on the court, the last one to leave. That was that was him, right? The message it developed around Michael Jordan was simple. It was be like Mike. Mm-hmm. Can't get more simple than that. But again, a very empowering message in the context of this icon, this idol that exemplified performance. Now, the, the job became developing the engagement points that surrounded Mike and being um, that, that, that performance-based kind of like feeling and emotion that's still connected back to the empowering lifestyle. And this is even to this day, when you go to the Jordan brand and you look at the Jordan brand, which has its own kind of life, it has its own kind of ecosystem, the digital social content showcase spectacular MJ moments still to this day. The man has not played basketball in a couple decades, I think now. Still, those still stand as icons of performance in the eyes of so many people. You have shoes and apparel that exemplifies the essence of performance. There's a whole big ecosystem around how these shoes are developed. That in itself is a way of really reinforcing performance. There's sponsorships with teams that epitomize performance, right? Where the Jordan brand shows up. There's point of sale displays at retail. And there was even a movie. Yes, there was an original Space Jam before LeBron James did it, okay? And I would say it was actually a better one. All these are carefully crafted into branding that was still, again, connected to Nike, but on its own had its own life. It had its own style. It had its own tone. And you needed that in order to convey performance. And this was all epitomized and still the iconic logo of a man flying through the air palming a basketball. I mean, still to this day when you see that, it just screams performance, right? And I will say, you know, a little anecdote here to the point of him not playing in a couple of decades, right? So my brother Brent buys my son Sam, who's six, whatever Jordans are representative of the number he is each year, right? So we just got the sixes. And he's never seen Michael Jordan play. No. But he has learned somewhat, I would say, honestly, through osmosis. To So to the point of what that brand represents, right, he gets that box, It has the iconic man flying through the air, the logo for Michael Jordan. The minute that boy puts his new shoes on, he starts jumping. Mm -hmm. I mean, the minute. It's like he's flying through our house. He's jumping up. These make me jump higher. You know, so for someone that really doesn't have any reference and didn't live during that time period, the brand is so strong that he can get the essence of what it's communicating, even without being part of Michael Jordan as the person playing basketball. And that's spectacular. That means it's so well done that that emotion transcends the product, right? And now you have, (laughs) and thank God it has, because now you you have like, you know, wall decor, you have um, bathroom (laughs) decor, you have like, you can put the logo on anything and it feels like as soon as you put that logo on it, it's like, well, that's some like badass, like, you know, (laughs) performance-based, like, shower curtain, you know? You know, so there's an expectation that when that logo shows up on something that it is going to be performance-based and it's going to be the epitome of performance. So 
That is my example for the Jordan brand, which is a brand that I fully appreciate. I have Jordans as well, and they are my power shoes. They're red. I love them. They actually sparkle (laughs) a little bit too. Yeah. So my power color, sparkle a little bit. It is my power shoe. Well, and I I just want to bring up the point too that to be able to house a powerhouse like Michael Jordan as a sub-brand under your brand Mm -hmm. just shows the power of Nike overall because there is never a point when you see the Michael Jordan brand that you don't automatically connect it to Nike. And so it's not like a standalone. It hasn't outgrown Nike. It hasn't become bigger. I would say it's become a heavily nostalgic brand, which is amazing to watch and see since he's no longer playing and all of that. But it lives alone, but it also lives in very close proximity and tie. And to Anne's point, it really brings to life that specific performance pillar. So on the other side of Nike embracing all athletes of any kind, all of that, this is really that other side of, and this is what happens when you use the brand as the ultimate athlete. And it's created a whole influencer-based network called Sneakerheads that, like Bart, you know, um, just adore the shoes. And I mean, that becomes even in a community in it itself that helps evangelize the brand. So, yeah. yeah. Side note, Brother Brent, Brother Bart, same, same person. person. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now that we clarified that definition. Um, so our fourth in the trenches question, can you say more about the what if ideation process? And I'm so glad you asked. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and in her process. Yeah, I know. So I'm actually going to put the entire process in our deep dive worksheet. So that was the little teaser I gave at the very beginning, um, because I think it's really important for you guys to see how this works and how it, how you can walk through it. And you're going to find that it's actually a very straightforward process. And some of these questions will be like, well, yeah, I mean, that seems obvious. But the way that it put it's, it's put together and the way that it forces you to think through these things in a logical pattern, I guarantee it's going to reveal something that you're like, Oh my goodness. It's it happens a hundred percent of the time. So don't look at it and feel like this is trivial. It's not. It's actually simple in its in its conception, but it's very deep and meaningful with regards to helping you uncover your brand love connection. And again, it doesn't matter what the size of your business is. It doesn't matter how long you've been in business. It doesn't matter who your target of your business is. This works across all of that. And I will give a plug as well because I feel like I'm a little bit of a snob <laughs> when it comes to All branding. right, now it's all coming out. All right. <laughs> and, but I, I will say that when and, – and I have some skepticism sometimes around branding books, right? But I will yeah. say that when Anne gave me her book, which was early on in our relationship, I was like, oh, geez, what if I hate it? But I remember <laughs> – <laughs> I do remember, to her point, finding it to be a really useful tool. And even as someone who – prides herself on feeling like I know how to do this work. I also felt like it made me think about things in a different way. And I think the value is it's not meant to be an education book on brand or even brand love, quite frankly. It's meant to be more of a how do you build it so they will come kind of philosophy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then again, to the point of the essence of our business, giving you the tools to go and do so. So that will be my personal plug for it as much as I tease her about it. I did find it to be a really helpful tool, and I find myself referencing it and sending it to other people that we coach or potential clients and that sort of thing. Oh, thank you, April. 
That's a Feeling lot. generous today. Yeah, that was a fantastic testimonial. Our third and final segment is generally a real-world example of a brand who's doing this well or not well. And, you know, there's a lot of really fabulous brands out there and a lot of fabulous brands that we love. So we're going to talk about a few of those. So get out of maybe a little bit of the big brand, big, big brand um, yep. context and, and talk about some that are more personally connected with us, although we like the brands that we talked about as well. So I'll start. So one of my brands that I absolutely love is I love Body Alive. And Body Alive is, I think it's in the tri-state area, but it is a um, a place that, you know, you go like a studio for yoga. And I think they have a couple other different things within it. They have some cycle and they have like bounce and some some other things. Um, But I primarily go there for yoga. And if you've heard me in other episodes, I've talked about how important my yoga instruction is and, and how it really helps to center me and bring me back um, and, and ground me so that I can focus and I can be the best that I can be. Now, the, the reason why I love Body Alive so much is because they've really intentionally created the whole studio in order to suit as many different personalities, motivations, I mean, as, as possible as they can. Now, but they do that in a very kind of consistent way. So first, they have a very dynamic group of instructors, okay? So, you know, a lot of times when you go into yoga studios, and I've even been to an ashram before, like they teach a specific type of yoga. They expect all their instructors to follow that yoga in a certain path and, and format. And there's very little kind of deviation from that, right? So that happens a lot. It It's totally typical. That does not happen at Body Alive. The, the instructors are so varied. They are um, they focus on different parts of yoga. Some are more flowy. Some are more strength based. Some don't sound like they just walked out of the uh, the studio next door that does cycles. So you feel like you're in an aerobics studio. <laughs> not my favorite, but you know that is for some people. Some people like that. Um, but you can pick and choose what makes you feel that's going to give you the best practice for that day. And I really like that. And they know me by name. I go once a week. I usually went to a couple of the same instructors. So that was, you know, I would guess that maybe they might know who I am. But based on like how many people are kind of coming in the yeah, door. The sheer volume. You know, the fact that they would like know somebody's name that like shows up like once a week and to different instructors. I mean, and they ask about me. I mean, that was like, it, it makes a big difference. It makes you feel like, hey, this is your community that wants you to come here. It makes you feel invited. Um, it doesn't feel transactional at all. It makes you feel like part of the you know the practice and in, in, in connection with the people um, that are in the studio. So I love that. Well, and I think, too, just the diversity in the way you're talking, because I think when you say yoga, right, people get a picture in their heads. Yeah, right. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the studios cater more to that perception, right? And so you have kind of this one-size-fits-all approach, and some of the ones I've been to, quite frankly, just don't feel very, very inclusive as a result. Yeah, and I think that's right on. And I was going to—that's exactly the next point I was going to bring up. Sorry, is stole that, your thunder. No, but no, I think that's really great lead-in, is that is the attitude— is one of inclusivity, right? So their attitude is, you're here to concentrate on you, whatever that looks like today, mm -hmm. right? So it's a very empowering spirit. Um, it's very much like, 
it's your practice. I'm going to give you guidance on your practice, but you feel free to add in. You feel free to take away. Don't worry about what the person around you is doing, although sometimes it's kind of interesting and you see somebody like, hey, I wonder if I could do that. And you kind of try to do it and you kind of look ridiculous and stuff like that. (laughs) Not to mention my arms are a little bit too short to do some of um, of the the stunts, which really frustrates me. I could do pigeon, but my pigeon looks more like frog. But I found that I actually can... (laughs) Because one of the instructors taught me how to go from pigeon into a headstand and back. Oh, that I can do. That's a good trick. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, um, you know, but it, it gives you like that freedom to try that mm-hmm. you're not there being judged by other people, which yep. is fantastic. And they expect that you're going to respect your space and respect everybody around you. So if somebody's trying to get up during Shavasana, when that's like the best part and you get these cool lavender towels, they're like, they'll say, you know, you you can't leave during Shavasana. You, mm-hmm. If you're going to leave, you need to leave before Shavasana. So it's it's really this philosophy that like really surrounds it that makes me feel that when I come there, it's it's first it's consistent. Um, and that's really important. Um, there is an expectation that you're taking advantage of your space, your time to focus on you and you're leaving all that stuff out there. And it's very inclusive. So that's why I love Body Alive. Good example. And... The branding is really, really strong. I was actually going to say. Sorry. It's very, very strong it, branding. I Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, as soon as you that. say it, I can picture it in my mm-hmm. head immediately. So, yeah. All right. So I have two, actually. One is related to the kids and one is related to me because that is my life these days. Um, but the one related to kids is Melissa and Doug Toys. Mm-hmm. And that's a brand. I remember those. Um, yeah, we actually just had this conversation the other day yeah, the because other day, yeah. one of our clients, there's a display of them in their um, holiday marketplace. So for any of you that have kids or have ever had to purchase a, cho- a toy for a child, at least for me, I find it a hugely stressful experience mm-hmm. because there are so many options. Things change with every age. There are all these ones that profess exactly what we're talking about today. They are the best. They're the most durable. They're the most played with. They're this and that and whatever. They're educational and fun. They're educational and fun. Yes, exactly. And so I had a really hard time after initial, like, just asking people, quite frankly, what to go with, finding a brand, especially when it came to this toy space that was consistent across all. And so what I mean by that is like, okay, so Fisher Price, right, if it's a plastic something, that's a brand brand I grew up with. I know what that is. Mm -hmm. That would be something I might go to. But the thing I love about Melissa and Doug is that... No matter what thing I'm going to purchase, I know that it's going to be good quality, pretty much better than anything out there at that price point. It's going to hold up. My kids are going to stay interested in it. And it's going to be very applicable to whatever it says it's going to do, right? And so that's everything from puzzles to art supplies to I can't even think of all the Melissa and Doug stuff we have in our house. But When I see that brand and it meets me in a space of whatever I'm looking for, I feel this instant sense of relief because it feels like everything else just kind of goes away. And I'm like, okay, they have a solution to this. That is what I'm going to go with. And I think that that just can't be overstated enough, especially in such a crowded space like we've talked about. And like I've said, I'm pretty specific about which brands that I trust. And and it doesn't matter if someone gives it to them for a gift or I purchase it myself or whatever. I have the same reaction every single time. And they enjoy it. And those are the things that I can look around the house and still see them intact. Yeah, so they definitely sell 
trusted toys of enjoyment or something to that yeah. effect. So yeah. that's like they combine that to, you know, create because I can still remember all the stupid Polly Pockets and yeah, stuff yeah. like that and all yeah. Polly Pocket pieces all over the place yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, we loved our Melissa and Doug, too, for the exact same reason. They were fun. They were well thought through like with mm-hmm. regards to engagement and enjoyment and they were repeatable yes yeah and, yep. and kids could like enjoy it over and over and over and not and it doesn't get old yeah yeah you know? like i remember one specific weekend my sister came up with this little jewelry box art kit thing and i was like oh no this is going to be one of those one and done and we're sitting at the restaurant eating and my daughter mia is just playing with it over and over again and i'm like how is that working and unlike every other jewelry box you can take off the stickers and replace them and put them in different spots and mm-hmm. you know you can repaint over you can dry erase here and i was like oh how smart she actually will continue to repeatedly yeah. recreate instead of like all right i glued it and i put the gems on now what am i supposed to do with, with it, it. Yeah. yeah very good point all right and my second example for me is page denim And so I have a really hard time finding jeans that I really love. And I'm, I've used snobby twice in this episode, like I'm pretty snobby about the jeans that I like. And so in my younger years, I was a huge, huge diesel jean fan. And I would go to Chicago fairly regularly for work. So that's where I would buy them. And I loved how structured they were and how durable they were and just that the color held up really nicely on them, all of those types of things. But as I've gotten older, I found that that fit, that like super structured fit just isn't really part of my lifestyle as much anymore and I'm not going out clubbing and with my Mm -hmm. giant high heels and all this kind of stuff. And so I tried tons of different brands again, just reached out to people for recommendations and I got really close with Joe's jeans and I was like, nah, just not quite right. And so the thing I love about Paige is I'm shorter and so length is always a problem and I, I don't have a lot of hip Right. And so it's all there's always like gapping or stuff without getting into too much detail in certain places. Right. (laughs) Or they're like six inches too long or whatever. But they have enough different fits, but a consistency of quality again in what I can expect that keeps me coming back to them to the point, again, similar with the Melissa and Doug situation. When I see a display of them, I don't even consider any of the others anymore. And I think the affinity there is I just feel. I know the feeling I feel when I'm wearing them versus other jeans. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's about fit and all of that, but it's the elevated brand love again, right? It's I have so many pairs that I remember a lot of great experiences in them. A lot of the experiences tied to the fact that I'm not thinking about the jeans that I'm wearing, the comfortability, the diversity of being able to wear them with lots of different things. And then also Mm -hmm. just the the lack of annoyance of having to go and have them hemmed or, you know, cut down or fitted or whatever. I don't have to do any of that with them. And so that's another brand that I have come to love in the fashion space and actually replaced another brand that had kind of run its life cycle in my life with Paige. It's a good example. I have the same problem. Um, short, but I do have hips, so that doesn't yeah, tend see? to be very good for jeans either. No, no you got to be like real tall and real straight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Feel that pain. All right. So just to summarize how building brand love gets more people to choose you, consider what you sell versus what your competition sells. Can you cover up your name and put your competition's name and it makes sense? If so, then you aren't differentiated enough. Identify the emotional impact you intend to have on your client, consumer, customer. 
This is the basis from which you'll build an authentic connection that only you can own, and this is what you sell. Define the proof points your client, customer, consumer needs to believe you and integrate them across your branding. This is what you will build your outreach on so that your client, consumer, customer believes you will deliver the emotional impact you promise. And finally, determine how you'll best reach your client, consumer, customer to create an emotional connection. These are your brand love vehicles. Now, go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.